Jerusalem. They're um, burdened down with, man, what are we going to do? Or the opposition that's coming against them. And, and they carry a heavy burden. And yet in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find a, a unique passage that um, really brings a balance to the burden. We have used often the, the issue of a pendulum that truth out of balance leads to heresy. And if you, and often, often you can look at history and one generation emphasizes one thing and it's like the next generation reacts to that and then brings it over here and very seldom, even in our own lives, is there a proper balance. And and I think tonight that we'll see in the book of Nehemiah, there were great, great burdens, but it was balanced by them seeing the blessings. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we find the... Focus is brought back to the Word of God, Ezra the scribe, that we looked at in the book of Ezra, um, is now brought with the Word of God, and um, and he stood on a platform of wood, verse 4 tells us, and he had a number of helpers there, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And uh, he stood up and he read the word of God and the people answered, Amen, in, in the last, in verse 6. They answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. So here's the picture. They are restoring and rebuilding worship and it all centers around the word of God. And when they read the Word of God, they said, Amen and Amen, and they lifted up their hands in, in praise to God. And they distinctly read, verse 9 tells us, from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense and helped them to have understanding in reading. And verse 9 we read, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. So here they were weeping because of reading the law, the conviction of it, 
And then Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites came and said, We don't want you to weep now. We want you to go rejoice. And three times in those verses, he mentions it's holy. This is a holy day. And he also mentioned that holy and rejoice. We sometimes think holy is, oh, somber, quiet, not rejoicing. No, he was commanding them to rejoice. And and he told them, I want you to go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those who have nothing, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is God's will that we be joyous. He says here, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said in John 15 that he has come that we might have abundant life and that our joy may be full. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this assembly that the children of Israel had was was called the... Feast of Trumpets, and they also celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles. And these were joyous celebrations that they had. For example, every biblical holiday given to the Jewish people had three aspects. Israel was to observe the holiday in the present to remember something God had done In the past, while looking forward to future prophetic fulfillment that would come. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people were to gather in Jerusalem not only to remember God's provision for them in the wilderness, but also to look forward to the promised Messianic age when all the nations will flow to the city of Jerusalem and worship. The tabernacles, the Feast of the Tabernacles, was unique in that the Gentile nations were invited to come to the Jerusalem and to worship with the Jewish people at the appointed time, as the Lord told Moses in Deuteronomy 31. The most visible sign of the Feast of the Tabernacles was the small booths that the Israelites were commanded to dwell in for eight days. They were to build these makeshift tents or or booths or huts. Some would build them on their patios. Some would build them on their balconies. Some would build them on their roofs. And they would decorate them with fruit and ribbons and pictures. And they would eat their meals there. Some families would sleep there. And these flimsy booths were reminders to Israel that they once lived in temporary shelters during the 40 years in the wilderness totally dependent upon God, 
and that God in his faithfulness continues to provide all that they need. So they would set aside eight days. They would put up these little booths or huts, and they were reminded. Now, this this was a time that, that they looked forward to. The children looked forward to it. Um, you know, kids love to make little tents and sleep in them, right? And um, they love to do things out of the ordinary. But not only that, even, even as we have certain foods that at Christmas season, you have certain foods that come to your mind that your family, this is your specialty, and, and you eat this, and, you, and ours is basically all of it, okay? But, um, well, they at the Feast of Tabernacles would have certain foods that they would look forward. This was a picture, if you would, looking forward to Christmas. One of the things I love about Christmas is caramels. I don't know why we don't make caramels year-round, but we make them around the Christmas season, and that's what keeps them special. But so they looked forward to this. This was a this was a time of of great celebration, and it was it was in these celebration the the Jewish people were instructed by God, and they knew how to celebrate. One of, the, one of the more meaningful and almost probably the most joyous uh, service that I've ever been in was in a, a Messianic Jewish congregation in Kiev, Ukraine. And it was clearly evident they... They were rejoicing that the Messiah has come and he is ruling in their life and they've been set free from the bondage of sin. And it, it wasn't any rolling in the aisle type of stuff or anything like that. Their, their singing was with joy and, and their reading of scripture was with joy. And, and we need to understand there are many, many things in this life that burden us down. In the world we live in, in our nation, in our state, in our church, in our families, in our own personal lives, there are many things that can weigh us down. And that's the pendulum over here. There are great burdens in life. Joy isn't denying that. But God has commanded us as his people to have joy. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when God's people were in great distress, the reproach of the wall that was to be between them and the pagan world was broken down, God came and used Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites for the purpose of balancing them, if you please, to realize, wait a minute, we have much to rejoice in. C.S. Lewis said, The human soul was made to enjoy some object 
that is never fully given and in some sense can never be fully realized here and now in this spatial temporal context in which we live. There is something more. He's saying the human soul was made to enjoy something that you'll never find in this life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you find in this life. Our human soul was made to enjoy God, and only God will satisfy. I I read or saw a thing, um, the coach of Michigan State basketball, very, very, very successful coach, has won a national championship. He said, I feel like I need to win another championship to validate myself. See, there's always something more to validate. And another coach that had had won two championships back-to-back, Billy Donovan with Florida, commented on that, and he said, after I had won two championships back-to-back, I said, honestly, is this all there is to it? Because our soul was made to only find joy in God. And nothing else in this world will satisfy it. But God wants us in this world to be joyous. So we ask, what robs us of our joy? Well, let me just list a few things and then list some causes for rejoicing. What robs us of our joy? <clears throat> Number one, neglect of our relationship with God. Neglect of our relationship with God. First of all, if we have not, by faith in Jesus Christ, established a relationship with God, then we have no source of joy whatsoever. And we may pursue many things, but we will never find joy until we come to realize I am separated from God by my sin, and the only way I can be brought back to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this week we're remembering, the death of Jesus Christ. The the purpose of Christ's death, if we could save ourselves, he died in vain. If a baptism or works or anything could save us, his death was in vain. He died because that alone provides forgiveness of sin. And calling upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin brings us back to fellowship with God. But as a believer, there are many believers that have neglected their relationship with God. It, it's like, I've, I've got my ticket to heaven, eternity set, now let me... And they've neglected their relationship with God and and they will be robbed of joy in their life. They will not be known as joyous people. Secondly, a wrong focus, an earthly temporal focus. 1 Corinthians 4.18 says, The things which are seen are temporal. They're here only for a short period. 
What is your life? It's only a vapor that appears for a, a short period. And if our focus is on this earth, we'll be robbed of joy. It will, it will be hard to have very much joy at all in our life if our focus is on the things of, of this earth. I mean, just let life run its natural course. It, it doesn't end very well. You don't get stronger and stronger and stronger until you're so strong you bounce into eternity. You know what I mean? And when our focus is earthly, you look in you, you'll be discouraged. You look around you, you'll be discouraged. This life, a wrong focus robs us of joy. Sin and disobedience to God. When, when we know this is what God said and we are not willing to do it, David said in his confession in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Why? Sin had robbed him of that. Disobedience to God. Doing God's work in our own strength, in the flesh, will rob us of joy. There, <clears throat> there is about nothing as, as futile and miserable and exasperating as maybe having a good motive and a good purpose, but trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. It, it, is, it is futile. There's, you can't do it. And, and we may fall and get up and I'm going to try harder and we may be determined, but it will rob us of our joy. And I've, I've visited with people and, and they've said, I've, I've tried to live the Christian life and I can't, so I gave up. Well, you, you know what? We can't live the Christian life apart from God. And, and if we try to do things in our own strength and effort, it will rob us of our joy. Wrong response to trials. Trials come in our life. Testings come in our life. And, and when we respond to them apart from the grace of God, when we murmur and complain about them, when we grow bitter about them, when we do not give thanks for the trials that come, those wrong responses rob us of the joy that God intended for us. Living a selfish life, not serving, robs us of joy. We sing the song, there is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus. But, but if we're not involved in serving others, a servant leader, a, a servant mentality... We, we are cutting off our supply of joy. We're limiting it. We're putting a lid on it. <clears throat> so we ask the question, what are causes for rejoicing? And when, when I say rejoicing, I don't, <clears throat> I don't mean this flighty, oh, be happy, happy, happy. I'm happy, happy, happy. 
We had a neighbor in Montana. There, there'd be times she'd come over and just, I was going to say, flying as high as a kite. I don't, she wasn't high on drugs. So that isn't the, she'd be, oh, just happy, 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 you know, happy, happy, happy. And it, I don't know if you've been around people like that, but it, it's, it's sometimes, is this for real? Well, there'd be other times she'd come over lower than a snake's belly, you know what I mean? I mean, she, she was way up or way down, and <clears throat> it's not a positive mental attitude. It's not, I'm just going to be happy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on our relationship with God. And, and it's, it's not, it's not asking us to be something that isn't already in us. It needs to be in us and, and to let it flow out of us. But it's walking in truth. And regardless of what happens in our life, we have cause for rejoicing. Number one, no matter what happens in life, God loves you. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. And see... Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites were saying to the children of Israel, yes, there's a lot of burdens, but rejoice and think about the truths of God. Think about how God kept you in the wilderness, how he's providing for you. We need to think about the truths of God. And there may be days that you don't feel like God loves you. But notice this, verse 9 of 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here in his love that God sent his son, there are times we need to be reminded, you know what, no matter what, God sent his son for me. That ought, that thought alone ought to bring joy to our heart. And, and we need to bring ourselves back to that often. I mean, admittedly, there are things that go wrong in life. And if our focus is on that, we will be discouraged. We won't have joy. But being reminded over and often that by God's grace, He sent His Son for me. You, you ought to be praying, God, this week, help your death and resurrection to become even more personal to me than it's ever been before so that I would have great, great joy and rejoicing. That's, that's cause for rejoicing. And then turn to Philippians chapter 1. 
We're just listing a few things here, but Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Here I am, a, a, a little peon in southern Iowa, minuscule, nothing, and God is at work in me? That's incredible. I mean, you know, you, you get on... You get on Google Maps and you do the satellite and you get farther and farther away. You can't even, you can't even see a dot. But God sees us and not only sees us, but he's at work in us. That's incredible. And he says, if I began a good work in you, I'm going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Most every one of us have unfinished projects at home. God has not forgotten and put you off to the side and said, I'm not going to finish that. God is working in me. Cause for rejoicing. God, I am unworthy. I do not deserve this in the least, your salvation, let alone the fact that you desire to work in me. And then turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Another cause for rejoicing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That ought to make us rejoice. I may lose my health, but that can't separate me from the love of God. I may lose all my resources, but that can't separate me from the love. of Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's cause for rejoicing. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It means that God is with me. He is shepherding me. He's not a God that is afar off. He is with me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may not sense it, you may not see it, but by faith we believe it. Turn to Revelation 21. Verse 
Revelation 21 and verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who is a thirst, and him that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The best is yet to come. God is going to make all things new. He is going to wipe away those those things that burden us and have, have brought tears to our heart and our eyes. He's going to wipe all that away, and we have cause for rejoicing. It is going to get better. The best is yet to come. And in realizing that should cause rejoicing. And to realize... Let not your heart be troubled, John 14. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming again. I mean, that ought, that ought to make us rejoice. You know, we, we need to, we need to go back and understand the joy of the Lord is our strength. As, as believers, we ought to be joyous every day because just those few things that we mentioned besides many, many others. I mean, when are, when is there a day that you can say, God doesn't love me, he's not at work in me, he's separated me from his love, he's not with me, and things are going to get worse and never get better, and Jesus is not coming again. You can't say that. All of those things ought to make us rejoicing. And, and the reality is, we as Christians don't do a real good job of rejoicing. And he said to these in difficult times, go rejoice, eat and drink and give to those that don't have and celebrate. We call the breakfast, the celebration breakfast. We're celebrating the Savior is risen. 
That, that's why, that, that's the celebration. And why the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we should have a, a sublime, underwriting joy that is evident in our lives that is completely different than the world has. Now think about it. Does your life, if you were, if, if someone else were to ask your family members, if you were a joyous person, what would the response be? If you're a follower of Christ, we should be. Really, we, and, and we manifest joy in different manners. We're not even going to go into that tonight. But we need to realize the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's our strength. It's a, a marked difference from the world. And for us to have joy, we may need to come back and, and say, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I mean, honestly, we, we need to have joy. I don't know how else to say it. I, uh, but, well, but we do. I mean, they, they read the Word of God and they said, Amen, Amen. It's evident they, they weren't like most of us, right? They raised their hands. Oh, God forbid that we would do that. Just because someone else abuses something, I mean, people abuse food. Does that mean you quit eating food? I don't think so. It doesn't look like it. You look healthy, and don't take it the wrong way. I wasn't calling you fat. If you quit eating food, you'd be emaciated and so on, all right? But we need to get back where we rejoice in God in our daily life. I mean, you get up. We ought to, God, thank you that, that I can even get out of bed and, and the joy of you is going to be my strength. I am, I am going to rejoice in you. And there will be tests. There will be days that it seems like everything will go wrong. But the, the reality is those basic things that we mentioned and there's many, many more our cause for rejoicing, and we need to come back and stand in the truth of God's Word. We, we sang the song, Rejoice, the Lord is King. I mean, that's just not a song for singing. There was one verse in here. Rejoice, His kingdom cannot fail. Amen. Woo! I am on the winning side. His kingdom cannot fail. Every other team will fail you, right? Every other person, you will, I will fail myself. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord, the judge, shall come. Um, you know, Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus, or it also means perhaps today. I mean, that's, that brings joy. Just think, perhaps today Jesus would come. 
I got to put my taxes in the mail tomorrow. That'd be nice to get out of here, not worry about taxes, any of that stuff. You know, all the stuff you need to fix and take care of and all the responsibilities. But we have a glorious hope. Our Lord shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. We used to sing the little chorus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know it? It's pretty easy. Just follow along. Here we go. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He gives me living water, and I thirst no more. He gives me living water, and I thirst no more. He gives me living water, and I thirst no more. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. First time I heard this song was Brother Lester Roloff. And then he sang... He fills my mouth with laughter. Ah, ha, 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 ha. He fills my mouth with laughter. Ah, ha, 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 ha. He fills my mouth with laughter. Ah, ha, 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 ha. All oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Ha, 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 That's the best you've looked in months. Seriously, when we have smiles on our face and joy in our heart, it is. It's contagious. And we have reason to have joy. I can understand, I, humanly speaking, I can understand why the world turns to all the things they turn to. They don't have hope. But as Christians, we have everything we need. Brother Lester Roloff also said, If I woke up this morning and all I had was Jesus Christ, I would have everything I need. And you know, That's easy to say, but if I woke up tomorrow morning and had nothing, that will be a true test of my faith. But that's the reality, and because of that, we can have joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Heavenly Father, I pray that truly we would stand in the truths of your word and that we would manifest the joy unspeakable and full of glory, that we would glorify you and enjoy you forever, beginning tonight. Lord, I pray that that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. I pray that this coming week that the joy that you give would would be on our hearts and would be a blessing to everyone that we come in contact with. 
and Lord would be an instrument that we can point to you. So I pray as well, if there is one here tonight that has never been brought back to you through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray tonight that they would call upon you for salvation. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer that regardless of the circumstances that we face, that we truly would rejoice in you always and that the joy of you would be our strength. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.